Hello and welcome to the MMA 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going in the time machine back to February of 1996 and reviewing the UFC 8 David vs. Goliath pay-per-view from the Ruben Rodriguez Coliseum in Puerto Rico. I'm joined this evening by Bob Bamba. Good evening, Tom. How are we? Evening, Bob. Very well, thank you. And Chris, how are we? Very well, Tom. How are you? I'm, I'm very well. I realise I didn't give you your surname. It's White for anyone that's interested. Um, so, I'm, I'm well, yeah. So, right, uh, boys, we, we've got a few things to cover tonight. Obviously, the pay-per-view itself. Um, there's a few subjects that we can talk about initially uh, before we jump back in 20 years mode um, for current UFC discussion. Um, Chris and I recently attended the uh, UFC Fight Night London on February the 27th, um, which was uh, a, a decent show um, with a, a fantastic main event, um, which I'm sure Chris will agree. And Bob watched it on Fight Pass, so it'd be interesting to get some thoughts from him on, on that as well from the televised product. Um, we'll have a bit of a brief discussion on uh, the, the, the big fights at UFC 196, which is happening this weekend. Um, some predictions on that. And also, uh, Bob has recently read uh, Big John McCarthy's book, Let's get it on. So it'll be interesting to get his uh, review and thoughts on that. Um, so with no uh, no more waiting about, um, Chris, let, let, let's let's jump to you. So Fight Night London, um, obviously it happened last weekend. Um, as I said, the main event was was exceptional, I, I thought, um, and the, the rest of it was uh, average to good. Um, give us your thoughts. What do you think of the show, the, the main event, and just any other thoughts you got? Yeah, the main event, as you said, was exceptional. It was clearly the fight of the night for me. Um, on the evening, I actually thought Silva had won the fight three rounds to two. Um, but I think so many of the rounds were so close that it's hard to really... I haven't watched the full fight back. I've only seen sort of the major flashpoints, such as the end of the third round with the flying knee from Silva and things like that. So it's hard for me to really argue my case because it was all sort of spur of the moment. But I did feel Silva had won that fight. Um, the yeah, as I say, that was a clear highlight of the show. Um, on the other, on the main card, um, it was the only. I know all all the fights on the main card went went to the judges, didn't they? So yeah, they did so, on the main card. Yeah. So, I think on the uh, prelim side, we got quite a few entertaining fights and quite yeah. a few entertaining finishes. And uh, apart from the main event, I think the best action we got really came in those prelim bouts. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with you. I thought um, the prelims had some some top fights in them. The, the semi main event was at just it was just dreadful. And I I really hoped that the the main event was going to go for a while because if it was a quick KO. Um, the the event would have ended on a, a very sour note, but um, the Scott Askham uh, knockout with the head kick in the prelims was just amazing. I, I, it was one of the most brutal head kicks I've seen, um, and it really uh, it really caught um, caught me by surprise. I mean, he's a talent, that guy. I think he's one to watch. Um, but I would agree with you on the on the whole. I thought that the, the main event um, made it worth your while. Literally, if you paid your money for your ticket, you got your money's worth in that fight. Um, you know, the the result, it's interesting what you said. I actually had it um, 3-2 Bisping because I thought Bisping got the first, second and fourth round. Obviously, the third was when Silva landed the uh, the knee uh, to Bisping's jaw and he dropped. And, and, you know, there was a spot of confusion there. And I, I, had, I had Silva on the fifth as well. But um, I haven't watched the fight back in full. So I, I, I haven't been able to challenge my own thoughts. But, uh, Bob, what were your thoughts watching on Fight Pass? Um, did it did it come across uh, any any better or worse than what you've read in terms of uh, coverage? And also, what do you think of the uh, main event? Uh, well, I have to say, we were actually recording the um, 
WCW podcast uh, for February 96 throughout the prelims. So I had them on. Um, and every time I turned my attention to the screen while we were recording, something seemed to be happening. Someone seemed to be getting punched in the bollocks or someone was getting knocked out. I have about four times on that show. Um, but so from a undercard perspective, I can't really comment. I was editing the show during, uh, sorry, from the prelims. From the undercard perspective, I was editing the show. I saw bits. There were also a couple of technical issues during that. I, I missed uh, the majority of one fight. Um, so the past comment on it and anything there, were, I, I probably couldn't do very well. Um, but I did get everything finished in time for the main event. Um, I actually thought Silver won the fight on a MMA scoring. I think it already comes down to round number four. Having watched it back since, I'm... Uh, I, I, I've softened my view. I think I think round four is a very close round. I think that's kind of where the... Um, where the fight would be decided. Um, but a fun fight, um, and I think one that you could tell in the first two rounds. I, I don't think it would be fair to say Silver wasn't taking it seriously, but you could tell round three he'd been told, you're two rounds down in this fight, and all of a sudden his demeanour changed and his positioning in the octagon changed as well. He became a lot more aggressive with how much he was pressing um, Bisping. And that yeah. showed him round three, and he, you know, I mean, I don't want to say Bisping got lucky, but I kind of think he did because you look at if we're judging a fight here. I think if we were judging a fight not as an MMA scoring contest, I think most people would have given Silver the fight. Um, and plus, mm-hmm. if we're judging it on a visual angle, I think we're giving Silver the fight. Um, you know, he, he he didn't knock Bisping out, but he, he landed a very good knee. Um, and yeah, I think it comes down to round number four, but I think he paid the price for his own uh, lackadaisical attitude in the first two rounds. He, he was he was pissing about too much, and, and it cost him. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that was that was uh, a general consensus. I saw that John Jones on Twitter said that he he just wished that Silver had been the aggressor for the first two uh, rounds, and if, if he'd have pushed forward and really pushed on to Bisping um, with more. Uh, emphasis on trying to win, uh, it would have been over a lot sooner than it was. And I can't, I can't quite get my head around that because for Silver, I know he's been out of the game for, this is the first fight he's had in two years. Um, you know, he's 40 years old, but you could see that when he turned it on, he still had it. And it's not like he was, you know, it was such a long fight that he was gassed out and he, he didn't have the cardio in his tank sort of thing. Um, I found it quite confusing. I'm not sure if maybe he didn't think that uh, he wasn't as fussed about the fight because he thought, well, it, win or lose, I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna be back, and I'm, I'm treating this as a, a comeback fight rather than one that actually puts me in serious contention for a title picture. Um, I don't know. Um, I think but... maybe he was just waiting for a spot, and I, I wonder whether he thought he found it at the end of round three. Um, mm. And 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 very very difficult to be convinced that you won a fight for probably the better part of 45 seconds. Um, it was fascinating watching that. The more times they told him it wasn't over, the more convinced he seemed to think it was. Um, and then yeah. his, his reaction when he sat um, sat on top of the octagon and someone says to him, this hasn't been over. He's like, you what? Or, well, so, so something akin to that in Brazilian anyway. <laughs> um, and he's like, you're, you're, you're kidding me, right? Um, and I think after that, it'd be like... I don't know what it'd be like. It'd be like, you know, scoring a goal and thinking you just won the World Cup and then being told it was offside, like having just celebrated for the last 30 seconds to be able to come down from that adrenaline rush. Um, and I think his biggest mistake after that was not really pressing the advantage home in the early part of the fourth round because it, such was the confusion that neither man really got any attention during the round break. And Bisping should have been all over the place, but he wasn't. Yeah, I mean, when when I saw him hit the deck, I, I mean, I just immediately thought it was game over, and I've watched the replay since, and 
he he wasn't knocked out. So it, it, and it's very confusing because you you hear different reports of it. But I saw Dana White talking about it after the fight, and he said um, the the Bisping did, uh, he hit the ground, but he wasn't knocked out, so the fight wasn't ended. But actually, the bell went as he was falling. I believe, because that's, that's what I, when I, I watched it a few times. So technically the round was over. So what happened was Silver thought he'd won and he walked away. Whereas actually if he followed up and landed a couple more punches, he might have knocked him out or, or Big John might have stepped in and, and stopped it. But actually the bell went. That was what I got from it. So it's very confusing. And that doesn't happen too often these days in, in UFC because they have so many fights and these, you know, they, have, they go through all the motions so many times that, that this is quite a rarity. Um, but it made for interesting viewing and, and being in the audience was even more confusing because you didn't have the insight of the commentators saying what was happening by referees at ringside or, or what have you. And I mean, we, we were it was such an experience to watch live, I've got to say. Um, and when it finished, I was I was convinced they were going to give Silver the win. But then. In his in his home country of England, is it so surprising they gave it to Bisping? Like you said, Bob, did he did he get a little bit lucky because of that? I think potentially so. But as a fight fan, you've certainly got your money's worth. Can, can you imagine if Bisping could have lost on the basis of looking at Herb Dean and taking his eye off the ball? Can you imagine how gutted he would be? Like that, <laughs> yeah. How how much of a career defining moment was that? Fifteen seconds at the end of round three. You know, if it, if there'd have been if there'd have been thirty seconds left at the end of round three, and that had happened, he would have lost the fight because oh, yeah. Silver would have Silver thought he knocked him out and thought it was all over. If there had been more time left, John McCarthy would have carried on because the round ended. Um, imagine you you'd have been Bisping and you'd have been sparked well not sparked out, but you'd have lost the fight in your home country because you took her off the ball. The one thing they always say. Defend yourself at all times, and he didn't. And he—he's—he's uh, he's incredibly fortunate that it didn't cost him. Absolutely, and uh, but then there's the other flip side of the coin where there's 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 this big argument to be made to say never walk away from a fight until you see that it's called off. Um, you know, you see a fighter like Conor McGregor for, for his for his knockouts, he never ever steps away before the referee jumps in. He he pummels, he pounds. He does, he does what he needs to do until the fight is stopped. He won't walk away and celebrate before it's 100% guaranteed that he's got the win. So I think Silva has himself to blame a little bit for that as well. Um, overconfidence, perhaps, or, or as you say, perhaps he was looking for that one killer move. And when he landed it, he thought, job done, now I can celebrate. Um, but a lazy, a lazy uh, uh, reaction to, uh, a, a, to a win in his eyes, I think. Um, OK, so... Cheers, boys. That's, that's, that's good, good thoughts. So let's move on. Um, we got the big pay-per-view this weekend, UFC 196. Um, obviously a change in the main event. Um, we now have uh, Diaz McGregor, um, which in, in some eyes um, is uh, as good a fight. In some eyes, it's less a fight um, than Dos Anjos. But for me, um, I think it's a fight that people really want to see. Uh, Diaz is similar to McGregor in a lot of ways. Um, he, he fights anyone. He never never backs down. Um, and at, at the weight class that Connor's gone up to, it's going to be really interesting to see if he can pack the same punch um, against Diaz because he's never fought anyone at that weight before. Certainly not in, in UFC anyway. Um, but um, we've also got um, Holly Holm and Misha Tate. So, boys, I'll come to you individually. Just um, can you just give us your uh, thoughts on those two fights? Uh, who you see coming out as the winners? And uh, anything else you want to chime in, Chris? Let's go to you first. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the uh, Nate Diaz Conor McGregor fight. As you say, probably more than I was the uh, Dos Anjos fight. I think this is clearly a much better fight for McGregor. Um, it's a much easier opponent. Um, Diaz on a full camp, I think, would have pr- provided a lot more of a test than he's going to. But he's two and three in his last five fights, and they're all with full camps. I think 
on two weeks' notice with Connor at his peak of confidence and the way he's fought in all of his fights in the UFC, I can only see the main event going one way. And I fully expect Conor McGregor to call out Robbie Lawler for the main event of UFC 200 immediately after the win as well, I think. That mm-hmm. I'd be surprised if he waits for Dos Anjos. He said he, he's not sure if he wants to give him another chance. Was it in the press conference? I mean, Dos Anjos yeah. has clearly broken his foot. The photo's online, and he said, it's a bruise, I hear ice helps. Um, I'm not sure if I want to give him another chance to fight me. And I think he uh, will Are we giving credence to anything said in that press conference or <laughs> all of the shit being thrown back and forth? It was so entertaining. I'll give credence to the whole thing. I absolutely loved it. It's one of the best press conferences I've ever seen. So fun. The other thing for me, Diaz, when he called out McGregor at, uh, what was it, Um, in December, at the end of his fight with Michael Johnson, he said, uh, no one wants to see you fight Dosanios or uh, Cerrone. You've already beat those. I thought, like, talking about McGregor's previous verbal encounters with those two in a press conference, I thought he just he beat Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz had nothing to say to him, and he mentioned steroids. And even then, McGregor tore into him about his buddies being done for being on steroids and all of this. I thought Diaz looked like a fish out of water, and he's like an awesome talker. He knows how to sell a fight. He knows how to talk some trash. But McGregor just ran rings around him at that press conference, and I think the same will be said come Saturday night. Yeah, yeah, I think he was up against the best, so he's always going to look a bit startled. Okay, so how about um, Holly Holm and Misha Tate, Chris? Who you got in that one? I think this is uh, a lot closer than the uh, McGregor-Diaz fight. Um, I'm going to go with Holm just because I think she's just that bit better than Tate. But I think this is actually, it's going to sound absurd, this is slightly more difficult a stylistic matchup for her than Ronda was in November. Um, I think Tate's going to... Uh, Tate definitely has a chance. I think this this is a close fight. Um, I'm home for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Bob, um, let's go to you. What are, your, what are your thoughts on those two fights and who have you got as your winners? Um, yeah, an interesting um, fortnight for Conor McGregor, um, continuing his long line of hastily rescheduled, lately rescheduled um, fights. Um, I think the fight is better for him in that... Uh, he, he'll never admit to it, but he's kind of got more of an out if he loses, given that he's now effectively fighting up two weight classes. Um, my limited knowledge of Diaz, um, I think if he's going to beat him, he's probably going to have to do it early. Um, in that, as we say, on a short camp, he's probably not going to be able to go four or five rounds um, with McGregor. Not that this is the kind of pairing I expect to go four or five rounds regardless. Um but no, I've got McGregor in that one. And then as for um, Holly Holm and Misha Tate, I, I've got a funny feeling that Misha Tate might see this as her one chance of uh, of winning the title um, in, in terms of I don't think she thinks she's going to be able to beat Ronda, and I think past history proves that. Um, but I, I've got Holm in that one as well. As much as I think from a from purely from a selling standpoint, I think there's it's a lot, and a story standpoint, I think it's a lot more interesting if Misha wins. Uh, in that kind of weird sense, I'm probably pulling for her. I would say that Holmes could win the fight. Yeah, I think with with three for three in the predictions there, I've got McGregor and uh, Holly Holm as well. I think, um, personally, um, McGregor 
has said that he's going to come out the gate fast. And as you say, uh, Diaz is going to have to do the same if he wants to try and pick up any kind of, uh, any kind of victory here. Um, I think it's going to be a bit of a barnstorm in this one because they're both stand up fighters and Diaz has got, he's got a, a punch. He, he really does back a punch. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if Connor, Connor's got the chin for it. Connor's actually, uh, his boxing game, everyone knows that, that it's strong. Um, but his chin is actually amazing. Like when you, when you look back at that fight you had with Aldo, um, Aldo caught him with, with, with a, with a, with a jab, um, on the way down. And yes, it was lacking punch because he'd taken a strike, but Connor was not phased at all. Um, and he can really, he can really take it. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. And, and oh, but, but two, two, two weight classes above his, his usual. I mean, do, if he can take a punch at 145, does that guarantee he can take a punch at 170? That's the question. That's an interesting one to, to ponder. Um, that's not to say that he hasn't fought at higher weight classes before because he has. Um, but not in the UFC and certainly not at 170. So, um, that's going to be the test on, on, on Saturday night. Yeah. And this is also with one because what uh, this, they're going in at welterweight, but you know, as with all weight cutting things, because they're not cutting weight, they're not really there. They are actually truly fighting at 170. Whereas if you were actually in the 170 category, you're probably fighting at 185, 190 mm. by the time you've, you know, re- rehydrated yourself and eaten as much food as you can 48 hours before the fight. So this this is a whole weird one, but it's a weird dynamic. But they've got Connor in a situation now where I feel like if he loses, nothing really matters. I think if he'd have lost to Dos Anjos, it would have things might have changed in that you know he might have lost a lot of the bravado. But the fact he's at two weight classes above where he was, and the fact it's you know a guy on short notice, I think there's a thought that this is a good fight for him, and that if he loses, we don't really lose anything, and we can still put him on UFC 200, probably defending at 145. Mm. Although I do think that Connor losing his undefeated record in UFC is going to be a blow. I mean, look look at Ronda Rousey. Yes, she's yes she's still a star. Yes, she's still a big money name that will that will sell pay per view buys just by her name alone when she has the the rematch or her next fight anyway. Um, but that, they are pushing McGregor to the sky, and I think they're doing that as a result of um, Rousey getting that loss. So. Uh, I, 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 although I must say, I just don't see anyone beating him at the moment. Uh, he, 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 he wins fights before he stepped in the uh, octagon, in, uh, in my opinion. As, as Chris said, that press conference was so one-sided, it, it made Diaz look a little bit silly, really, and, he, and he's quite a talker. So it's going to be an interesting pay-per-view. For but sure. my checks the super heavyweight. What a line! <laughs> he, he was he was on a roll at that moment. He's like, it doesn't matter what weight I'm in. The only weight class I care about is the weight class of my checks, and they're super heavyweight. What a, what a lie. What a character, eh? You know. Yeah, but I, I think the one thing is that if anyone can talk themselves out of a loss, I think Connor is in a miles better position to do that than Ronda Rousey would ever be. Um, Connor can lose here and, and regain all of his steam in the matter of 15 minutes at the next press conference if he needs it. Yeah, um, with, with an 11 day, 11 day training camp on the other side. I don't know. This might be a tough one to come around from. I know he can say it's two weight classes up from where he usually fights, but. Diaz is always going to have that over him, you know. I only had eleven days to prepare, and I still beat you. If it happens, which I don't think it will. Have you seen the photos of Connor? I know we probably should talk about this because people are going to listen to that, but he looks big. He's, he's not making one forty-five again. I'm sorry. He's no, huge. no, no, no. Yeah, he's not going back down. He looks stacked to shit. It's, 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 and a one-way movement for Connor as I see it. Um, and I don't think we'll see him fight a featherweight again. 
Um, but he does surprise us uh, all the time. So who knows? Who knows? Okay, I, so, I'm going to be up oh. at 4 a.m. for this show. So I think you, so you, am I. you guys generally stay up, don't you? Yep. I think my, uh, my, yep. my, my, my new plan is to get up for them, which is the, the new kind of funky way around it. But no, I, I'm looking forward <laughs> to these two matches. I would suggest that we do a live podcast during it, but that would mostly like, include me screaming at the top of my voice and running around the room, so I don't think you want to be hearing that. I don't think anyone <laughs> will be listening either, so we'll, 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 we'll mix that idea now. <laughs> okay, okay, so moving on. Um, Bob, let's just get some quick thoughts on you. As I mentioned earlier on, you um, recently read Big John McCarthy's book, Let's Get It On, um, which is a, a widely recognised book in the MMA world. Um, and it's got some good history in there as well as some stories and other facts and figures. What did you make of the book? And, um, I'll give it an overall review, if you would. Yeah. Um, pick that up. Uh, it's about six weeks ago. I read it now in terms of, you know, the kind of structure of the book. The first third is probably about, you know, his upbringing, um, and his time in the, uh, kind of the, the police force and the police, police academy. That's actually very interesting as well. And then he kind of talks about how he just kind of ends up backing into, um, UFC and it's a a funny thing in the sense that we our first show we did was UFC 7 um and he documents in a lot of detail every UFC show up until and including UFC 7 and then after that it becomes a bit more brief because obviously you know he tries to do uh I, I don't I think it it tops out at about 60 or 70 I think pay-per-views that's kind of when the book comes to its conclusion um, but if he was going to try and do a detailed review of all those shows, it would take forever. Um, but no, a, a lot of really interesting insight. I think it's going to be a book that now I've read it and uh, I can extract chapters and sections from my, um, from the Kindle edition. I think it's going to be a book we're going to be coming back to on the show. There's certainly some insight ahead of this show that I'm going to come on to in a bit, um, from that as well. But I would highly recommend if you're the kind of person that listens to this show and wants to find out more about USC from 20 years ago and the early, early era. Um, I think it's a very good companion from arguably the guy who knows the story better than probably anyone else. When you consider that USC has changed ownership twice, um, there's been a lot of people come and go. There aren't many people that can say they were there from pretty much day one right through until the present, you know, with, with, with the odd exception, the opening gaps in the middle. Um, if there's anyone who can tell a more complete first-hand story of, of the history of USC, I don't think it's... I don't know who they are. Um, but yeah, if you're looking for a book to listen to whilst we go through these shows or you just want to find out more about the early days of USC, it would come as two big thumbs up from me. OK, and up next, uh, we're going to cover the news coverage for UFC between the last Ultimate Ultimate event and the UFC 8 pay-per-view. Um, Bob, I'm going to hand over to you for this, so please take us through before we uh, get into our coverage of the pay-per-view itself. Indeed, indeed. We start off with the kind of reaction to the USC Ultimate Ultimate show. Uh, USA Today had uh, a uh, article and a photo after the event complete the photo of seven bats to punch uh, Oleg Taktorov. Uh, they portrayed the event as being a bloodbath with a rowdy crowd in Denver loving it. Uh, Senator Roy Go- uh, Goodman called it an animalistic piece of subhuman behaviour more akin to cockfighting than a human sport. There's going to be more quotes like this. We'll get to the end of this segment. Uh, in the days leading to the event, Den- Denver District Attorney Bill Ritter contacted SCG's lawyer, threatening he would file a friendly assault charges against any combatant that injured another, which worried Jenham, an Omaha peace officer, who thought such charge filed against him could pose a risk to his career. Yes, they literally were going to press charges against Jenham for 
damage he caused inside the octagon. There we go. Uh, another quote from Bill Scanlon in the Rocky Mountain News. Most of the matches resembled wrestling more than street fighting. Wrestling spice with knees to the throat and fists smashed into foreheads. Uh, and Paul Hutchinson of the Denver Post uh, said that matches resembled high school wrestling more than barroom brawling. So a, a mix of reaction. Um, but equally still, and we're going to come to more ahead of the USCA show, more akin to what we're used to around this time, which is a lot of people talking down about USC and these shows and that kind of thing. The show itself, though, did very well. Uh, we may mention this last time, but I'll cover it again. Uh, at, because there was a Mike Tyson fight that they announced a few weeks beforehand, they ended up having to show this, uh, having this show air very late on pay-per-view. Um, and also the fact that they aired it as late as they could, but even so, there was a lot of overlap. So a lot of people that wanted to buy it didn't. The show itself did a 0.6 buy rate, which is not far off what WWF and WCW were doing, depending on what show you want to look at. That's that's certainly competitive with good or above-average WCW shows and below-average or poor WWF shows at the time, which, when you think about it, is bonkers. USC has no coverage, no television at this point, nothing. It's all word of mouth. Um, and the even more surprising thing was... It did a 0.6 bar at live. The replay did a 0.4, which is just unheard of in terms of a show doing 60, 70% of its initial bar rate on the replay um, because of people wanting to see what happened with with uh, with the Mike Tyson fight. Um, so they didn't watch UFC live. Gross $2.7 million, which obviously was a lot of money at the time. They also did a UFC special event on pay-per-view uh, on New Year's Eve, which showed highlights from the first seven shows, and that also did a 0.4 buy rate. So UFC at this point, quite hot. Uh, I think as, as reading through John McCarthy's book, and as we're going to find out, UFC over the next few years is probably going to go down before it comes back up again. Um, but at this stage, it was quite a hot commodity. Unfortunately, it being a new and hot commodity, it also meant there was more pressure coming. Um, the, a Puerto Rican government official, this show is being held in Puerto Rico, uh, ordered an official ban of the show combined with one of the major, major cable systems in the United States deciding not to carry the event. The cable system was called the Cablevisions Systems Corporation. They were quite big in the northeast, uh, Connecticut of all places. Um, apparently the ban... Um, cost USC approximately 1.5 million addressable homes covered nationwide by their platform Strong in the Northeast and represents a total of 7% of the total potential pay-per-view audience. So that was kind of the first of what will become many as we're going to see over the course of the coming months and years. Part of the reason USC struggles is because they just have less reach. Um, some more quotes as well, uh, or just some more uh, instances. Reverend Thomas Styers of Greenwich, Connecticut, led the local... Uh, all these quotes are courtesy of the Torch and the Wrestling Observer. Uh, led a local protest collecting more than 300 signatures to petition and gaining the support of areas of the Council of Churches and Synagogues and used that pressure to get Bloom in the Hall and U.S. Senator Joseph Lieberman of Connecticut to join forces with them. Quotes, I am quite troubled by the senseless violence that this contest promotes aggression and cruelty as a form of entertainment with promises of bloody matches. Um, There's also a big <clears throat> a big feature on uh, ABC, their 2020 show. They looked at USC. Here was just some of the excerpts I pulled out of the written reports from the Torch and the Observer. Your usual type thing, again, as I talk about, if, if we wanted to generalise the coverage of USC at the time, um, mainstream features kind of talking down about USC, lacking balance, and also, and we discussed this before, 
about quotes from people that don't really seem like they've ever actually seen the UFC show. Um, George Lundberg, the editor of the Journal of the American Medical Association, said, There's no question the hazards are extreme. The hazards to soft tissue and skin are the greatest, with cuts being what you'd expect in many people. But much more severe things can happen, up to and including broken necks, strangulation with fractured larynxes, damage to the brain stem and spinal cord. It's just a matter of time before one opponent damages the other very severely, up to and including death. Yes, that happened. And Senator John McCain is back. Uh, we don't let roosters engage in cockfighting. We don't allow drugs, uh, dogs, sorry, to fight pit bulls. We don't allow human beings to go out into the street and engage in this type of activity. We call it disturbing the peace. But we will sanction this in various arenas around the country. It's a sad commentary on American society. State Senator Rod Go- uh, Roy Goodman of New York said, It's an animalistic attempt by one human being with no protection, no gloves, nothing to maul and basically destroy another human being in the ring. Um, well, there's a couple of things we can discuss in a minute, gents. Um, but Chris, any thoughts on any of the above I, I went through there? Well, it, I mean, a lot of what we've gone through here, we spoke about on the most recent edition of this podcast with the uh, Ken Shamrock defending the UFC and uh, portraying a number of arguments uh, that sort of counteract everything that's said. And as you say, George Lundberg, the editor of the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association, saying about uh, it's just a matter of time where someone dies in the octagon and stuff like that. Well, I mean, fast forward 20 years and um, uh, to my knowledge, no one's ever died in a UFC uh, as a result, direct result of something that the UFC has put on. And uh, I think when you look at the world of professional wrestling, people have died in professional wrestling rings. Um, and as we say, with boxing and things like that, the risks are just as severe with all forms of combat sports. And obviously, in its more, going back 20 years, UFC is vastly different to how it is now. But it's developing, and with the addition of judges and rounds, and uh, not rounds, but stricter time limits and time limits being cut and things like that it, it's morphing into a sport and becoming less animalistic less barbaric and but the outside pressures seem to uh increase as its popularity does it's rather strange tom yeah well, i mean my main thought from from all that was just i i would have thought that reverend thomas steers could have probably got together more than 300 signatures if he was uh, looking to take that to uh, U.S. Senator Joseph Leiberman. Uh, I would have thought that he would have laughed at 300 signatures, but obviously he, it was enough for him to take it seriously. And it just goes to show the um, the the, uh, the sort of general consensus and opinion um, that people have of MMA at this stage. Um, and a lot of the quotes you gave, I think, would have been the sort of quotes you'd got off the average Joe in the street if you'd asked them what they thought of it, if they'd even, or if they've even heard of it. Um, and, uh, you know, things will change, um, but things haven't changed that much since we talked about this last time. Um, and uh, John McCain is continuing to be a, uh, uh, a, do- a doom bringer in the world of MMA. So the, the less we mention him, the, him, the better, I would say. Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of people in power wanting to show that they can enact, you know, show that they've got power, wanting to wield it, essentially, uh, and a topic that, so few people are in favour of that it's a very easy topic to to rally against. Um, yeah, I, I think there's, you know, we, we look at all of these quotes and it's it's easier to say looking back 20 years down the line, but I think it's a, a lot of people are talking like they've never seen it and like they don't understand it. Now, okay, you know, understanding 
is easier with re- in retrospect, but I think at the time a lot of people are talking about they've not seen it. Um, apparently, one of the comments on on the ABC show was that all the comments they picked, uh, the clips, sorry, that they picked for the um, kind of montages they were using, they picked the most kind of violent and brutal looking um, shots and images, of which there are a lot in the early days, but not as you know that they, they picked clips that suited their kind of point of view and there was certainly i get the impression a lot of people were uh, watching that and thinking there was an angle that they wanted to take um two things i think to discuss on before we we, we move on to the show itself uh, first is format changes uh we're gonna get a few of these i think over the coming years uh time minutes for the first round and semi-finals were shortened to 10 minutes each with both the tournament championship and the super fight time minutes shortened from 30 minutes down to 21 which would be a regulation 15 minutes and then two three minute overtimes tom i, I you know it's Again, easy to say now that we're so used to what I think is the superior format in the five-minute rounds, but would it be fair to say that at this stage they were heading in the right direction? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, hindsight is twenty twenty, so we, we, we could comment on this um, with the know-how of how it worked out going forward. However, um, as a UFC fan or an MMA fan at this time, um, I can't believe that anyone wouldn't have welcomed the idea of um, shortened rounds considering some of the the absolute yawn fest that we've seen before um, and uh, fights that just go on for the sake of going on because fighters have to pace themselves over 30 minutes, which is a ridiculous amount of time to go without a break and having to uh, pace yourself and, and build your cardio to a level where you can consistently work for 30 minutes. It just, it just doesn't work. Those breaks are there for a reason. Um, they mentally and physically reset and give fighters a chance to um, to start again, as, uh, as it were. Um and I, I, when, when I read it first on paper, I thought the 21 minutes sounded a bit random. But then when you look at it with the regulation 15 and two three-minute overtimes, that's a nice that's a nice time as well. Like that, that's cutting it in half basically. Um, and I, I don't I don't think I would be amazed if there was a UFC or MMA fan that would have an issue with this at this point, um, given the prior examples that I talked about of fights that dragged on far longer than they should have done. So yeah, good moves from me. No, I think the only perceived negative was perhaps from a fighter's point of view and I think one thing Dave Meltzer pointed out was that if you look at some of the early matches that went into you know 15, 20, 25 minutes there was perception that in the event that they cut off at 15 and went into two overtimes the match might have changed course e.g. if someone's got someone on their back for 15, 20 minutes they might be able to win a fight whereas if it's only 15 and there's overtimes it might change the result I think that was really the only perceived negative, Chris. Yeah, I, I completely agree with what Tom said. I think it makes, uh, especially in the, since we've started this show, the super fights we've covered generally have been draws or gone to the judges. That I think that was it. The Shamrock Tactara of one was that from UFC Seven that dragged it went an eternity, thirty-three minutes with only one break in that, and I think going down to fifteen minutes. Um, as you say. From a fighter's perspective, looking back at those fights, things may have gone differently. But now that it is a 15-minute time limit with two three-minute overtimes, everyone's aware of that. You know if there's 14 minutes gone, you know you've got to survive a minute. If you're in a, 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 a bad position or if you're on top of someone in a mount position, you know you've got a minute to finish the fight or there will be a break and things like that. So it's, it's changing the sport, but it's definitely changing it for the better for me. Um, It should... Uh, Encourage fighters to work harder to finish a fight within that 15-minute time frame. You no longer have to be worried about pacing yourself for potentially half an hour, in fact, 33 minutes without a break. So, yeah, I just think it's 
a completely positive move. Yeah, I, I think in, you know, I think it's a case of, we're going to discuss kind of, well, I think we'll discuss the David and Goliath format in a minute, but I think it's more when we look at the tournament aspect. I think uh, a 10-minute one-round UFC MMA match is probably superior to a two five-minute round match or a, 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 a really good one. But I think the point is, is that only in the, what they've done with, you know, abolishing tournaments and what they've done with adding in rounds is that they are trying to create a more reliable product. So I think that tournaments, if they go right, can actually do a lot better in terms of creating performers and stars. And really good MMA fights that are 8, 10, 12 minutes long one round are actually really good and probably superior to a fight that was broken up. But I think it's more a case that they want to mitigate themselves by saying this is we are more likely to produce a higher volume of better fights than a smaller volume of really good and quite dull fights. So I think it's more a case of with this and with the tournament thing. They're just kind of protecting themselves and creating a more reliable product. Um the other thing, Tom, uh Dan Seven. Yeah, Dan Seven. So um there was a news report that, yeah, that, that Dan Seven was offered a, a one time payoff um in the range of five thousand dollars. Uh, for an appearance at the WWF Royal Rumble in 1996. Um, but he uh, turned it down, uh, which apparently due, was due to political reasons with UFC, um, which was trying to separate itself from the world of worked professional wrestling. Um, Dan Sever wanted to do it, um, but the question was a- raised of why it upset the UFC, which paid him over a quarter of a million dollars in 1995 um, for a one-time WWF appearance of $5,000. Um, it's worth saying he earned that money. They didn't just pay him that. He won that. Just, <laughs> just, just to clarify that bit. Yeah, yeah. He certainly earned his, he earned his pay, uh, earned his keep. Um, yeah, so, I mean, uh, before I give my thoughts on this, let's, let's go to you boys. Um, do you think Dan Seven uh, would be making a good decision from considering to appear on a WWF show for $5,000 for whatever reasons he had? Or do you think he should stay where he is and keep his, um, keep his face on the UFC products? Chris? Well, as a fan, would I have liked to have seen it? Absolutely. We discussed it, I think, may even have been on the WWF podcast for January when we discussed the Royal Rumble or maybe even December. Um, He was one of the names that was floating around that could be in the Royal Rumble match, and I I was all for it. But when you talk about the politics from within inside the UFC, it absolutely made sense for him to turn down the offer. It's something he can do down the line, but if he's in... He's well, just coming off the win from the Ultimate Ultimate Tournament. You'd say is at sort of the peak point of his fighting career, winning such a high-profile mixed martial arts tournament. Keep the UFC on good terms. Things are going well both inside the octagon, so you keep them well outside the octagon. It made sense for him to turn it down. But as a fan, it would have been a nice uh, appearance for sure. Yeah, and I thought it, I actually thought it was interesting in this pay-per-view where they had Dan Seven um, being interviewed and with a headset on, providing a little bit of background commentary. Um, and this is something else that I'll touch on, but I, I, I was I'm curious as to why Dan Seven has been singled out as to let. I mean, obviously, you know, his 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 profile is is is, is what it is, but what does he portray and what does he sort of um, give off that that leads um, WWF? Um, powers that be to be thinking actually he could he could be really good on our product um, and ra- rather than anyone else. Um, but Bob, 
what do you what do you make of this one? Is it, do, you think, do you think it's a, it's a, a wise move that he's made? Do you think WWF uh, are, are, are talking to the right guy, or is there anything else you'd consider? Well, it's it's worth reminding people that Dan Seven, you know, I think most people listening to the show will know this. It, it, you know, is a what was a professional wrestler. He was the NWA champion, I think, at the time. Mm. Um, so it's not like they they weren't looking necessarily purely just to capitalise on on a UFC guy. I, I know as um, the, the discussion Chris was referring to, I think, was on the December show when we were talking about potential entrance and one of the things i kind of said was well a wwf gonna have the time and the desire to want to present him correctly um because otherwise you're just bringing in a ufc guy for the portion of ufc fans who already know who he is and it won't make any difference um but yeah i think as we said on the last show though usc is having a hard enough time as it is trying to convince people it's real um don't have the guy who just won your pay-per-view appearing on fake wrestling that would be a very very bad idea um and yeah for five grand for what undoubtedly his Royal Rumble appearance would have been, which would have been, oh look, it's Dan Seven, he's a, he's a fighter, and then he would have got dumped out five minutes later, wouldn't have been worth it. Um, there were also just stories about him talking with WCW again, I think just because they were, they were interested in him as the pro wrestler. Um, that might have been different had WCW come in with a, you know, a, a, a full-time contract. We all know they, they had money to spend at this kind of time. Um, but no, in, in terms of if it was a case of do you want to appear at the Royal Rumble or not, uh, absolutely not. Yeah, I, I'd agree. But I mean, to me, if I was a WWF booker, um, which I really would never like to be because I'd, I'd probably end up killing myself. But if, if I was, I would think, well, why don't we bring in a couple of UFC fighters and have them sitting in the front row for the Royal Rumble um, rather than actually having Dan Seven or, or whoever get involved in the, in the match itself? Because you put them in the front row, it, it, you can you can have the banner of UFC uh, fighters. They're not actually involved. They're there as fans, but they're actually getting paid to be there. Um, and they could even get into a little, you know, little standoff with a couple of the fighters, a couple of the wrestlers, I should say. Um, that to me makes a lot more sense than talking about putting him in an actual match, even though he's capable. We know he's capable, as you, as you alluded to. Um, but from a business standpoint and promotional standpoint, that would make a lot more sense to me. Um, but it, it didn't happen for very good reasons. Tom, I, I will hand the well. You, you kind of took it back on me anyway, but I will formally hand the show back to you, and we can uh, we can start discussing the pay per view. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers. So, okay, uh, we're going to move on to the event itself now. So, for for UFC eight, David versus Goliath. Uh, so, um, before we get into the the matches, and 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 my, I've got notes on all, on all the fights, um, boys. What what do we make of this as a concept, um, David versus Goliath? I, I've got some thoughts, and I'll, I'll withhold those until I've heard what you think. Um, Obviously, the idea is big man versus small man, um, and we'll go through how it panned out. But what do you make of the idea, uh, Chris? On paper, I thought it was a pretty horrendous idea, considering we've spoke in depth about the pressures from senators and religious people and whatnot, and the negative press that it creates for the UFC and like how people view it as barbaric and things like that. I thought the idea of pivoting a tournament specifically engineered to have sometimes 100-plus-pound weight advantages in a single fight was a, well, I thought it was a, a terrible move. But the, the announcers through the show, like, not to give any spoilers for the show we're about to review, but whenever a so-called David beat a good life, they were sure to hype it up. And by the time you got to the final, they, they made sure to point out whenever a small guy did get the victory over a larger guy. And I, I think after watching the show, I'm not sure I, I would have done it myself. 
had the tournament, but they certainly made it work in in the sense that it could have gone hideously if all the Goliaths just crushed the uh, the smaller fighters. Um, but that's not what happened, and because that's not what happened, and we ended up with the winner of the tournament, we did. I think it actually turned out to be a fairly not. Um, I don't want to call it a good idea because I'm not ha- sure how much you gain from it rather than just having a, a regular MMA tournament, but it didn't backfire, I guess is my thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I thought it was interesting that the commentary team uh, made a, they made a good point, I think, when they said that the whole idea of this is to show that with MMA um, and the skills behind it, a big man versus a small man doesn't always mean um, that the big man's going to win just because he's got the, 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 the extra power. Um, and as you alluded to, the, the, the results, as they panned out, did sort of lean in that direction. Uh, no spoilers. Bob, what do you make of it? Yeah, I agree with Chris. Um, it, it, it was a bad idea going in, but it, it came off about as well as they possibly could have expected in terms of, you know, it's kind of one of those things. Let's try and prove that we are correct when we say that this is about skill and it's not just about size. Let's manufacture those those battles um and it really could have gone wrong if if you know the four big guys had gone through in the first round it would have it would have proven the wrong but the the risk paid off and it actually created a for a very entertaining show um and as we say yeah we we ended up with a david and a goliath in the final and the david won so from that perspective it worked, um, and it was, as we'll come to a sec, I thought it was a fun-ass show. Yeah, agreed, and I think we're three for three. I, I thought it was a horrible, horrible idea on paper, and I won't repeat what you two have already said, but um, uh, I think UFC were quite fortunate in the way that it panned out because it could have turned into an absolute circus show. Um, but, uh, okay, so let's let's crack on. Um, after the introduction packages... Uh, well, would you we- like me to read the results, Tom? Oh, we're going to do results. Okay, sure. Yeah, sorry. Go on, Bob. No problem. In front of you. Yes, I have. Uh, In the alternate bout that did not air, Sam Adkins defeated Keith Mielka? Mielka, I think, uh, by submission in 50 seconds. Adkins will appear later in the show. Uh, The quarterfinals, what we join on pay-per-view. Don Fry defeated Thomas Ramirez by knockout in eight seconds. Paul Varians defeated Joe Marrera uh, by unanimous decision at the end of the uh, round. That was 10 minutes. Uh, Jerry Bolander defeated Scott Ferrozo by submission in nine minutes and three seconds. Uh, the final quarterfinal saw Gary Goodrich defeat Paul Carrera by knockout. Some knockout that was, uh, in 13 seconds. The semifinals, Don Fry defeated Sam Adkins, who replaced the injured Tom Valiant, uh, by TKO in 48 seconds. Gary Goodridge defeated Joey Bolander by TKO in 5 minutes and 31. The Super Fight saw Ken Shamrock, the, uh, Super Fight champion, retain against Kimo, which is called Kimo, but full name Kimo, Kimo Leopoldo, uh, by a knee bar in 4 minutes and 24 seconds. And in the final, David, Don Fry defeated Goliath, Gary Goodridge by submission, uh, submission, tap out and throwing in the towels, seemingly all at the same time, uh, in two minutes and 14 seconds. Indeed. Thank you very much, Bob, for running us through those results. So, cracking on. After our introduction package, uh, we're given our announcers for the show. Bruce Beck, Jeff Blatnick, as well as Don the Dragon Wilson. Big John McCarthy is our referee for the fights tonight. And we get completely muddled introductions to our judges. 
um, which I can't believe they didn't realise as they were reading the names out, but I'm only presuming they didn't actually look at the screen when they were reading the names and got the two um, chaps completely the wrong way around. Um, so our first tournament um, quarterfinal is up, and it's Greco-Roman wrestler Don Fry versus super heavyweight Thomas Ramirez. Um, uh, ju- just to add, the the introduction they gave Ramirez was they said he was undefeated in 200 challenge matches on the <laughs> island. Hometown favourite. Um, I, I get the feeling that was a Goldberg-style streak. Um, I, where, where, what those challenge matches were, I've got no idea. Uh, my only takeaway was that uh, we, we did say a couple of shows ago it would be nice for some context before the matches. And they did start giving us them with these pre-match graphics, but they were a bit cutting. Um, one of them, for, for Ramirez, it said questionable stamina. Imagine that in 2016. <laughs> like, you know, negative character traits about uh, some of the performers. But yeah, those are my two takeaways. Sorry, Tom, but I just thought I'd uh, jump in there before your match review started. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, definitely, again, it's, it shows signs that UFC are going in the right direction, but they've got, they've got to improve some of that. And we'll, we'll also touch on the overall presentation of the show because there was a number of things in here that I thought were very strangely done. Um, the way the announcers seem to be confused with doing their jobs and, and things being done at the wrong times and what have you. But uh, we'll touch on those as we go through. Um, so, yeah, we, we've, we've got Don Fry versus uh, super heavyweight Thomas Ramirez in the, in the first fight. Um, the fighters make their entrance, and uh, Don Fry looks to be a complete badass just from the way he walked out. Um, he looked like he was ready to kill someone, um, and, uh, and he almost did. Um, so uh, Ramirez looked, in his entrance, sweaty. Um, and at 410 pounds and 100-plus degrees, I can't say I blame him. Um, it must have been uncomfortable um, temperatures for all of the fighters um, and for the audience and the commentary team and everyone in the building, by the look of it. Um, so, yeah, the, the fighters introduced and we're off. Both men throw right hands. Uh, Ramirez hits the deck pretty much immediately and the fight is over. Um, Ten seconds into our first fight and David has beaten Goliath very, very quickly. Um, there doesn't need to be a, an in-depth review of this one, chaps, um, because, it, as I say, it was 10 seconds. Um, but any thoughts from you both, Bob? Well, if they were worried about the David and Goliath thing, this was a bloody good start in their favour. Uh, Don Fry weighing one pound more than would have been exactly half of the weight of Thomas Ramirez, 206 against 410. Just charged after him, hit a couple of rights, and it was all over. Um, lasted, I think, eight seconds. Um yeah, that was so much for the hometown undefeated challenge on the island hero. Um, that that didn't go well. Yeah, I was thinking that the 200 fights they they said that he um, had done might have been before the weight gain because um, I mean that was just embarrassing. It's it's one of those things. It's it's embarrassing for him, but it's embarrassing for UFC to to promote someone as as being able to beat 200 people in a row. Um, and then getting knocked out in as you say eight seconds. Uh, I. I, I, I it confused me greatly, Chris. Well, I, it was just an absolute squash match, and like, I, I mean, I don't want to be starting conspiracy theories here, but I, it's it's awfully convenient that they have a four hundred and ten pound guy with questionable credentials and questionable stamina taking on a legitimate former professional boxer in the first bout of your David versus Goliath tournament. And I'm not saying they that it was worked. And the matches worked by any degree, but I'm saying the tournament being put this way, that this is the first bout on the night in such a tournament that could have been so controversial in a David versus Goliath setting, seemed a bit convenient to me. I think it was 
clear that Fry was just a legitimate fighter with a legitimate background, and Thomas Ramirez was just a 410-pound, 41-year-old fat guy. Like, I, I mean, he may well have had 200 challenge match victories on the island, but we certainly saw nothing of that here. Yeah, you've got, you do have to wonder whether there was a bit more to this because it was so one-sided and so, such a, a, a sort of, um, uh, the, it was almost, it was almost like it was, it felt to me like a pro wrestling match. Um, it didn't seem real because it was just so quick and it was so, it was just, oh, I just, I didn't, I didn't like, I mean, it was, it, it, for them promoting the David versus Goliath thing, it was a good start, but, um, it made a whole mockery of the concept in a, in a way for me. Um, but hey, there you go. Um, so moving on. So moving on to our second fight, we have Jiu-Jitsu and Judo Master Joe Moreira versus Freestyle Big Man and MMA 20 Years Ago podcast favourite Paul Varland. <laughs> uh, the fight starts, uh, Moreira grapples and throws a right. There's some more grappling and Varland catches Moreira with a stiff right. The two men stand off before Varland lands a hard left. Moreira lands a right and Varland shows the world his chin, taking it quite impressively. The polar bear eggs his opponent on, but the standoff continues anyway. The crowd boo, and big John McCarthy tries to push the fight on. Moreira continues his attempts to clinch and catch Varlands on the break, which is a process that seems to repeat itself about 15,000 times during this fight. Um, the fighters circle each other again and again and again. A few more kicks are thrown and a few more punches. A takedown attempt from Moreira, and Varlands batters him for his troubles. Um, we reach our 10-minute time limit and we go to the judges. Um, Valens gets the win with a unanimous decision of 3-0. Um, a fight that went 10 minutes, um, but really, in terms of the action, I covered in a couple of minutes because there wasn't a whole lot of it. Um, let's go to, to the boys for their thoughts. Chris? Yeah, it was it was probably the fight... I was least interested in on in the night in terms of the action that played out. Um, as you said about Valens, I think we've seen him fight every time we've done this show, so good to see he's still hanging in there. But it certainly wasn't his best showing after being the runner-up of UFC Seven. Um, I found it. I, I was kind of pleased that later in the night, I wasn't not pleased that he was injured, but really, I didn't feel like either guy deserved to go through in the tournament. It was quite a boring fight and the the uh, commentators were talking about the uh, the judging criteria and it was effectiveness of strikes while standing effectiveness of strikes on the ground and overall aggression well both men landed strikes on the feet uh overall aggression while Valens was often the one not moving backwards he also often wasn't moving forwards he never looked to cut the octagon off he just sort of walked around in like matched Moreira is circling off him. He never looked to engage, really. Both men just sort of went round and round and round. And even though Moreira is clearly the one moving away, if we're judging it on aggression, despite him being the one who was more moving forward of the two, Valens never really followed him around with anything that resembled aggression. So uh, it was a really hard fight to judge, really, based on that scoring criteria. It's hard to argue either way what man should have won, but... I don't think it was a bad thing uh, for the tournament that the alternative came through to replace these guys later in the, on the night. Mm, OK, Bob, over to you. What did you make of this one? 
Yeah, um, Marara came in with, um, w- w- uh, apparently as one of the favourites or one of the guys who kind of the, 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 the most, you know, emerging reputations. Um, I don't necessarily think we can blame him given that he was conceding £95 and about nine inches to Valiant that he wasn't the most proactive going forward. Um, I, I think to a point, Valiant, if he'd have pushed more, as, as Chris said, he didn't really go forward or back. He kind of just kind of went side to side, kept kind of pressing forward, but never really directly at Marrera. I think he was worried about getting taken down or punched or whatever. And Marrera was, was concerned about the reach difference. So didn't want to get um, within range. So he just ended up with this really tentative match. I, I think Valians wins it, scrapes it on just landing more strikes of significant note. Um, and I think if, given that Marrera didn't really fight back a lot, I think we can say Valians probably pushed a little bit more in terms of his uh, octagon positioning. Um, but yeah, a close fight in the sense that neither man particularly did all that much to win it, but they cut, they got to the right decision. Yeah, I'd agree. I think um, uh, it was it was clear to me in this one, one, one takeaway, that um, Valens, uh, you know, we've seen him fight on, on a couple of occasions before, and he, he's definitely improved. Um, he clearly came into this fight with a game plan, um, uh, you know, and, and put it into, into good action. Now, Moreira's game plan didn't work, and I think, um, I don't think he was necessarily prepared well enough um, to handle... Um, Valen's game and what he was bringing and the strength and the power that he had. Um, Marrera was like a one-trick pony and he just kept trying it. He, he kept trying that, that clinch and, and strike on the break and it, it didn't work. And I, I think actually, I think Valen's did deserve it and I think he deserves credit. Um, it's obviously his experience in the, in, in the cage is showing. And although it was a pretty boring fight that went the full 10 minutes, um, you can say, I, I think quite clearly that he's improved. Um, and that's something that the, the very little, the very least that you would ask from, uh, fighters that appear on these, on these shows as we go through them. Um, okay. So moving on to our third quarter final. Um, it's between sh- uh, shoot fighter Jerry Bolander and pit fighter Scott Ferrozo. Just 130 pounds in weight difference in this one. Yeah. Only 130. I mean, you know, you can lose that in a week. So uh, no big deal. And the taller guy was the one. On the lower end of the scale as well. <laughs> it was 5'11 yeah. to Ferroza's 5'10. Yeah. Yeah. How, how's that? How's that? Um, at least they're showing all shapes and sizes, eh? So, okay, the fight starts and uh, Ferroza pins Bolander to the cage and unloads on him. Uh, a couple of big throws from Ferroza and he has a nasty gash above his left eye and is bleeding quite profusely. Um, Bolander struggles to break and attempts a chokehold. Another throw, and Ferrozo keeps him pinned. A few nasty headbutts land, and Big John picks him up. Um, Ferrozo is seen two for his cut, uh, and we're back on. Another kick from Bolander, and he's back to being pinned up against the cage. And Big John gives another restart to get things going. Um, and we have the same again, back against the fence. A throw attempt and a beautiful crossover and choke attempt from Bolander. Um, they go to the cage. And Ferrozo eventually taps out the Davids uh, are two to the good. Um, boys, what did we make of this fight? Uh, it, it was very different to the one before it, um, perhaps in a good way. Bob? Yeah, this is what I meant about earlier when I said that matches longer than five minutes when they're really good are probably better than matches that are split up by intervals. Um, 
This was really good. Uh, I, I, my, my initial kind of side to Ferozo, I put in my notes, is he the third member of the Nasty Boys with that jacket he was wearing and his similar <laughs> kind of stature and build for what that's worth. Um, but a really good fight, um, in the sense that one that ebbed and flowed quite nicely. Um, again, we're still in this early era of UFC where we've got these little quirks like Ferozo wearing a singlet um, and then Bolander while Ferozo had him pinned up against the cage on more than one occasion grabbed the shoulder straps and started crossing them over as in a kind of choke formation um, yeah. very good fight I, I think it's one of those things where Bolander clearly very skilled I think I think we saw this and in the semi-final um, and yeah, he, he, he works hard. He, he, he fought on, I think it's the match one on conditioning played a part as well. And a really, really good finish as well in terms of being able to fight the takedown, reapply the choke after they pop back to their feet and then tapping the bigger guy out. Very, very impressive. Probably not in terms of spectacle, the match of the night, but in terms of intrigue and ebb and flow, I think it probably was. Yeah, absolutely, and we'll get we will get on to our match of the night later on, and, and to, to say who we think was our performer of the night. But I think you know a big shout out here to Jerry Bolander. He, he's young, he's got the build, he's clearly got the cardio, and he's got he's got skill. Um, he's he's got that game, that that shoot fighting game, and uh, he impressed me greatly for someone so young, someone with um, the experience that he has. Um, and I think this was a good example again of the David and Goliath thing. Um, Ferozo had the throws, and he was trying to trying to ragdoll Bolander, basically, and trying to, um, trying to smother him. Um, but Bolander had the skill to combat it, and um, that, that crossover was just lovely. I, I watched that two or three times, um, and, and trying to get the, the choke in afterwards, and eventually cinched it in. Um, yeah, really, really good fight, I thought, um, and the type of fight that I think um, promotes a really good sport in UFC, rather than the quotes that we heard earlier of, um, you know, uh, cockfighting and, 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 and brutality and all what have you. This was actually a really good show of sportsmanship and, uh, and skill. So, uh, we move on to our final. Do, do you want a comment from Chris on that, Tom? Oh, sorry, Chris. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I got so wrapped up and now I totally forgot to ask you, mate. Chris, what did you make of the fight? No, no, no problem. Um, yeah, I, I echo everything you both said. I really enjoyed this fight. Bolander looked great. Um, the big takeaway that, I've got really to add to what you two said. During one of the stoppages where the doctor was checking on Ferozo's cuts, um, the commentary team ran through who was in his corner, and they named, they said Bruce Buffer was his manager. So I did a bit of uh, Googling while I was watching the match, and it turns out it is the Bruce Buffer uh, in the future UFC announcer. Uh, yeah, it's him. And it, he, I was reading an interview with him, and it was the first time he had anything to do with UFC. He was Scott Ferrazza's manager, and this was his first UFC event. So there's a little uh, takeaway from this fight. But yeah, generally really enjoyed the fight. I thought Bolander was a star. Um, the finish was exceptional. I can't. He was so seemed much more experienced. They said that his lack of experience because he was so young. Um, may cost him in this one, but he certainly didn't seem like an inexperienced fighter with that finish. And uh, if it weren't for he spent large portions of this fight with the 330-pound guy on top of him, he would have been one to watch later in the tournament, I think. But I think this fight may have taken a lot out of him for the rest of the night. Yeah, agreed. I mean, that's a really interesting note that you said about Bruce Buffer. And I, I wonder if maybe they uh, overheard him shouting instructions from the corner and thought, you know what, that guy's got a voice. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, uh, again, uh, all, all three of us, I think, give that one the thumbs up. Um, so 
moving on, we do go into our final quarterfinal of the tournament. And we have American wrestler Paul Herrera, which I thought was a very interesting type of skill to have. Because uh, you know, obviously if it was not American, it would be completely different. Um, versus Cook Soul One fighter. Gary Goodridge, and I would like either of you to explain to me what Cook Soul One is um, at the earliest convenience. Whatever the fuck it is, it works. We'll, we'll come to it in a minute, but um, <laughs> I, I ain't saying anything about that. Yeah, yeah, and and also with Gary Goodridge, um, they I, I may have misheard this, but I'm pretty sure I heard the commentators saying that he once beat a thousand men in a row over two hours at arm wrestling. Yeah, well, let's not forget about that. You know, I, I, thought, <laughs> yeah. I, I thought I thought it was an interesting stat to have. Anyway, even if it was arm wrestling, that is ridiculous. How you can get to, how you can get to a thousand men lined up to take in in arm wrestling is uh, beyond me. That doesn't um, seem likely. Not really. L- no, l- I th- logistically, more than physically. Like I, I can imagine, if you got a thousand dweebs in there with a guy of his size, he could do it. I just don't know how you could cycle through a thousand people in sixty minutes. Yeah, so I fancy coming down to a local bar and um, arm wrestling a big guy. Um, if you beat four people a minute, you'd beat 240 people in an hour. So you'd have to beat... Yeah, that doesn't seem like... That That that, that doesn't seem right. Unless it was like in a Benny Hill style, style um, arm wrestling when it was like 10 every second. It's it, it just eight, ran, ran along a line and just like knocks a load of people's <laughs> arms down. Like dominoes. 8.3 people a minute it would be. So I'm not sure, yeah, the logistics of that one don't quite add up. All right, well, I'll try it next weekend down my local and see how it goes. <laughs> I'll, come, I'll, come, I'll come back to you. I'll probably have two black eyes and a, and a broken arm. But anyway, right, so um, moving on um, to this. Yeah, so we, we are in our, our final quarterfinal. Um, and a quick start to the fight, and we hit the mat. Uh, Herrero appears to look for a hold, but Goodridge throws a thunderstorm of elbows to his head. And we have ourselves a 13-second knockout. Um, another very quick fight here. Um, hey, sorry, Tom. I, I probably I do want to just fill in a couple of the blanks that you probably missed from that report, just to just to give it a bit more context. Herrera shot for a takedown to begin with, which Goodwich blocked. Um, Herrera then gets him on his shoulders in kind of like a fireman carry type thing. Goes to flip him over. Goodwich catches him. Tight, great vines his forearm with his leg. Get grabs his other arm uh, with his left arm, and then with Herrera in this kind of crucifix-style position on the mat, just starts hammering elbows. Like, I've never seen a finish like it. Yeah, it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. Um, I, I, I don't think anyone can take that. Um, you know, you could have a, a 20 years MMA experience, but nobody can take a barrage of elbows to the head like that and survive it. Um, but yeah, uh, quite right, Bob. It, 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 it was 13 seconds, but it was a fight in itself. Um, Chris, what did you make of it? It was probably the most brutal MMA knockout I've ever seen to like to this day. It was absolutely hideous. And Big John, I mean, when a fight's 13 seconds, it's hard to criticize a ref for not jumping in early enough. But you could have stopped that flight after one elbow. I think he landed about six or seven. It was just hideous. They were absolutely brutal strikes in that sort of mounted crucifix. And yeah, you you could have stopped that fight after one. It was. I've never seen anything like it. 
Well, the key thing is you could have done, but to, to pull from an excerpt of, of John McCarthy's book, he wasn't in the right position. Um, he said, I learned a valuable lesson from this fight too, which was not to anticipate a fight's outcome too far ahead. I'd known Herrera was a decent wrestler at the University of Nebraska, and I doubted Goodridge's credentials beyond his arm wrestling, which, which well, we probably doubt as well. Uh, this had led me to believe Herrera would control Goodridge on the ground. As soon as I saw Herrera shoot for a leg, a single leg, sorry, I had it in my head that he'd get the takedown. I casually moved myself around to fighters to a position where I felt they were heading, which was a big mistake. I was near enough when Goodridge start dropping heavy elbows, and I was elbows, and I was slow to react. I'd never do that again. Yeah, it's interesting that, that John can rec- rec- recall the events of the fight so clearly. I wonder if he he must have made notes after each one, or, or, or maybe he's just re- remembering and uh, and get best best guessing. Um, but yeah, that, that it, it was so quick. You 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 can't. You can't knock his refereeing too much, um, uh, but my God, this when we talked about f- fights that would actually promote the technical side of uh, MMA and how it actually is a sport and there's a lot of skill attached to it. If those, you know, if the senators and the and, and the reverends got caught wind of this, they would look at this and say someone is going to die. Um, having well, that well, done to well them. true. I, I don't. I think it's unfair to say there was no skill involved. I mean, I think it was fairly apparent oh, I anyway. But I, I've read kind of quotes from from Goodridge since, and apparently he had that kind of takedown scouted. Um, and there was the belief that they could perhaps potentially trap him in this crucifix style position. It's a brutal looking finish, but I don't think up until the point that he starts land, he lands that first elbow. I think there's a lot of skill in that. Probably from both guys, dare I say. I mean, Herrera shoots for a fireman's carry. He gets caught, um, and it ends up looking horrendous. But I mean, Herrera wasn't exactly unskilled. I think he just got caught by a guy far bigger in a, in a horrendous spot. Yeah, I would agree. I guess the point I was making was that, you know, to an outsider who doesn't really understand or care about the, the, the technical side of things, all they would see is a big man battering a small man with, or smaller man, um, with elbows to the head that look like, look like they could give some brain damage. Um, I, I'm not sure they would see it for the, the, the skill and the, and, and the, the sort of flair side of it that we, that we talk about. And for what it's worth, Ferreira did leave the Oxygon under his own steam. Apparently he ended up with a broken cheekbone and a concussion. I think he got away quite lightly. Yeah, yeah, a, a walk in the park, really, when you when you actually watch it back, which I haven't done, but my God, it was it was horrific. Um, okay, so moving on, we we next received word that um, Paul Varlands will not be continuing in the tournament this evening. Uh, we're not given the um, the details of why at this stage or what's caused him to, to step out, um, but we're informed that he'll be replaced by Sam Adkins. Uh, we, we, we learned soon after that that um, it's due to a broken bone in his foot that's um, left Paul, Paul Varlands in the situation where he can't continue. Um, this then uh, caused a, a quite a delay in the proceedings, and I felt for um, UFC and I felt for, for everyone involved at this point because you can't plan for this sort of thing. Um, and obviously it happened very last minute before the, the first semi-final was due to take place, um, and it was very unfortunate. Um, I'm not sure if they could have handled things any any differently unless they could have taped up Sam Adkins backstage before. But you you, you can't plan for that sort of thing to happen, especially if it's only just before he stepped out um, uh, to, for the entrances. They've noticed it. Um, but again, it's it's good that that happened. Um, it would have been a horror story if we'd heard that, um, you know, uh, Paul Violence had come out with a broken bone in his foot and had fought on anyway. Um, which would have only increased the um, uh, the barbarity that, that some people uh, proclaim there to be in, in, in UFC um, and MMA in general. So, OK, um, moving on, uh, we do go into our first semi-final, uh, which is the ever-impressive Don Fry 
versus Sam Adkins, um, who, as Bob said, fought earlier on in a, in a rather quick contest. Um, and I think he's put in a bit of an unfortunate um, situation here because uh, he wouldn't have trained for the, for the tournament. He wouldn't have looked at the fighters too ex- extensively, I wouldn't have thought, um, to, say, to, 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 to put in his training camp and plan for things. Um, he may not even have been watching it, but I, I, I'm guessing that he would have, would have been. Uh, so he's thrown into this fight versus Don Fry. Um, and Sam Adkins is a boxer by trade, we're told. So the fight begins um, and Fry uh, has a single leg takedown. Um, and lands an absolute flurry of right hands. Uh, this, 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 it goes on for only 48 seconds, and Big John steps in um, to stop the fight, um, and Fry does go through to the final. Now, uh, I, I won't give my, my thoughts on the fight just yet, um, so I'll, I'll go over to you two first, but uh, a difficult situation for Sam Adkins and uh, advance to the final for Don Fry. So, Chris, what did you make of this one? Yeah, I mean, Don Fry just looked excellent here as he did in the uh, opening contest. I'd say, uh, although Adkins was at the alternate, he was definitely a more uh, well, an opponent of some promise. I think the announcers said he was 83-1 and one in wrestling. So, I mean, he had a fairly legit, well, a very legitimate background coming into this fight, but it looked again that Don Fry was just a... A step above the competition here, just swarmed him early, got the takedown and an absolute flurry of punches, a whole lot of blood. And uh, I mean, the fight, yeah, 48 seconds and it was just one sided, comfortable and uh, an easy path for Don Fryer in the, on his way to the final. Yeah, absolutely. Bob, over to you. What did you make of it? Yeah, um did feel a bit for Atkins. Also, we, we don't know the exact context of... Uh... Uh, when he knew what he knew, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think he just got he got taken down by the the superior fighter. Um, and once you know, he, it's weird. He had sixty pounds on him. It didn't particularly feel like it in a weird kind of way. Um, and that I think in part is credit to Fry. Um, but Fry got on top and just unloaded, and he had no answer. Um, I don't think it's a massive slight on Adkins that you know coming in at. Uh, late notice regardless of what he knew um, that he just got beaten probably by the better fighter yeah agreed okay so um, we move on to our next semi-final um, and we have Jerry Bolander versus Gary Goodridge um, the fight starts and Bolander shoots at Goodridge who stays upright and tries a chokehold Bolander blocks uh, a throw and they both hit the mat Goodridge keeps him pinned with the side mount not allowing Bolander to move in any direction. Um, Bolander goes to full guard and nails a very nice elevator and rolls to a full mount on Goodridge. He throws rights and Goodridge tries to shorten the distance as much as he can. Uh, he uses his power and forces Bolander back onto the mat. Bolander looks for an ankle lock, but Goodridge won't let him up. A few big rights land on Bolander and this fight is over. We have our final, um, which is Fry versus Goodridge. Uh, Bob, what did you make of this one? Yeah, um, again, even on a losing effort, another, I think, very impressive uh, outing for Jerry Bolander. Um, Conceded a lot in size, a lot in weight. Um, He competed for a while and then just got in a bad spot, I think. Um, Up until it was a fairly even match up until the point where he ends up kind of on the ground, on his back by the fence with Bolander with Goodridge in a standing position. Um, and that I think is the position where the size difference and the weight difference is most exacerbated. I think if you're both on your feet, you can, you know, use the old kind of wrestling terminology that speed will outdo size. Um, when you're 
on your back with your head up against the cage and your your 60 pound heavier opponent is in a standing position only so much you can do um and at that point it was um all over yeah absolutely chris over to you yeah uh bolander i thought like to his credit performed well performed well throughout the night but it was just uh goodridge was just too powerful for him here it was a very good back and forth fight throughout. There were times where it looked like Bolander might be able to pull off the upset. Um, but it was just sort of poor strength, pure strength that helped uh, Goodridge get the win here. Bolander got in a bad position and I had to like heading in, you thought if you're Bolander, you had to be in yourself having seen that Goodridge end his uh, quarterfinal in the way he did. And then, uh, knowing that you went almost 10 minutes with a 130 pound weight disadvantage with the guy on top of you and pushing you up against the cage, he had to be shattered. He had great cardio to go as long as he did here. I thought this was a good performance from him, but pure strength got Goodridge into the finals. And it, like, at this point, looking forward to a, a pretty good final. I think the two best fighters on the night made their way into it. Yeah, and I think it's, it's an interesting one to, to sort of analyse again, the, the um, David and Goliath um, element of this, because Bolander is clearly one to watch. Um, he's got a lot of talent, a lot of promise. Um, he's got the build of, of, a, of, a, of a fighter. He's got the, uh, the, the, the skill, as you said earlier on, Chris, they, they said he, he lacks experience, but clearly he's got um, uh, experience in his game that allows him to stand up against these guys who are you know, not only nearly twice his size, but, you know, five, six years he's seen that and, and more than that in some cases. Um, and I really, really was impressed by Bolander in this. And I think, as you say, Goodridge's power just, just served him well here. Um, and without having weight classes at this point in, in the UFC, this sort of thing is going to happen um, with fighters that are good enough um, to use their size to their advantage, um, which is exactly what I think Goodridge did here. He's got that extra power um, and he was able to pretty much control things based on the fact that he was a lot bigger and had that had that um that strength to, to back up his game um but uh, a good fight and as you say chris I, I agree with you i think that the two best fighters from the tournament went into the final which is the way that it should be so um next up uh we have our super fight which is um and again i'll, I'll, I'll welcome any explanations on this one pancration or pancration expert chemo um, which I thought was something you would do on Shrove Tuesday when you're flipping pancakes, but I might be confused, um, versus Shoot Fighter and UFC veteran Ken Shamrock, another favourite of the podcast. Um, the fight starts, and Chemo flies at Shamrock with a right kick. Shamrock drops Chemo and takes side mount. Chemo tries to escape, but Shamrock keeps him grounded with some shots to the ribs and some more. Shamrock eventually moves to full mount, and Kimo uses his impressive strength to flip Shamrock right over onto his back and takes him out himself. He throws a headbutt, and the crowd chant quite loudly for Kimo. Shamrock nicely avoids a right from Kimo, who uh, I thought might have broken his hand on, on the way he, the, the power he struck the mat with. Um, and Shamrock looks for the ankle lock. Kimo tries to shake him off and tries some more. Uh, Kimo spits out his gum shield because obviously he's feeling the uh, feeling it in his tank and uh, questions of his cardio will we'll come into this. Um, Shamrock tightens it up on the ankle lock and we have a submission on our hands. Uh, reigning super fight champion Ken Shamrock picks up the win. If I can, if I can jump in, our last Shamrock, uh, he did say afterwards it was a knee bar, not an ankle lock. 
Oh, very good, very good, Bob, very good. Uh, that's why it's why you're here. That's why we pay you all, the money. All the commentators missed that as well, so I understand where you put that in the notes. But yeah, Shamrock did say it was a, a knee bar. I think knowing that when you rewatch it, it, it becomes more obvious. Did it start as an ankle lock though? Because it certainly looked like. Well, he, he, he had he had hold of the ankle, but I think he was shooting for the knee bar um, at every stage. I don't think it was a matter of changing. It was just that was the part of the leg he wanted to use as the lever almost in the knee bar. Mm, okay, yeah, I mean, and also I've just got a note here that after the fight, Shamrock was interviewed, and um, I won't go into, too, into it too much, but he called out Dan Seven for a rematch um, and says that he's looking forward to the final. Um, but uh, in terms of the, the the fight here, this was this was our super fight, guys. Um, we've we've seen some some uh, some okay ones in the past. We've seen a couple of turkeys. What did you make of this one, um, Chris? I'll go to you first. Yeah, well, it was, a, it was an entertaining super fight, and the uh, super fight UFC 7 between Shamrock and Taktarov was worlds apart from this one. This was actually entertaining, and unlike that fight, when, when the action went down to the ground, both guys worked hard, and there was a lot of changes in momentum with people assuming like dominant positions. Kimo did well to uh, overpower Shamrock and change it and get himself into a half-guard position on top and land a few headbutts, but sh- managing to roll it back and eventually lock in a submission it was an effort. the action was good uh, yeah just under five minutes this one I, I really enjoyed the fight um, I thought Shamrock looked good here it's the best we've seen him on this show for me so I'm looking forward to the uh, matchup at UFC 9 between him and Dan Seven yeah absolutely I'd agree with you I think this is the most impressive I've seen Ken Shamrock and uh he really showed his uh, showed his colours here. Um, I, I was very impressed. Bob, what did you make of this one? Yeah, um, very very good fight um, for, for a fight with a lot of ground action. This was was very intriguing. Um, credit to Kimo for managing to kind of escape um, the ground position, um, and at one point got into the guard and then kind of lost it um and full credit to shamrock for being able to reverse out of it too as you say it was a, a, a as ground fights go this was quite compelling in that you 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 never felt the guy on bottom was was in a negative position and both guys proved they could get out of it and that was probably one of the first times we'd really seen that certainly in the shows that we've covered um and fair play to shamrock he trapped him um got hold of the got hold of the ankle um works it for a good 30 seconds to try and get it in the right position and then he managed to cinch in the knee bar um, and it was all over. Very entertaining four-minute fight. Yeah, three for three. I thought this was a, a really, really good fight. I enjoyed this one thoroughly. Um, I thought that... Uh, something something I will touch on is... And, and again, this is this is a general t- topic. Um, but in regards to, to cardio, um, chemo was obviously quite gassed as we hit the, the four-minute mark here in this one. Um, and I think that's... There's something to be said there for the David versus Goliath part of this because... Uh, I know that this isn't necessarily in that in that format, but um, some, I think some of the fighters, and, and this becomes less of a, an issue as, as UFC goes on, but cardio is a big issue for some of these fighters. Um, they're clearly not equipped to go for long distances. Now, chemo that is that is I think perhaps quite harsh because he's a a well a well you know well good experienced fighter. However, uh, when they spit that gum shield out, that you know that they're, they're looking to fill their lungs back up with air, and uh, it's not a good sign when you're only you know, four minutes into a fight that could have gone on for, for a potential, you know, three times longer than that. Worth saying um, it was bloody hot in there by all accounts. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I, I wondered if actually it, it might have been too hot to put on an event like this, especially when you, when you put some guys are fighting three times, um, which is really unreasonable when you think it was 100 plus degrees. 
really, really uncomfortable. And, and you know, the, the, the local crowd, I, I guess they're used to temperatures perhaps like that. Um, but some of these guys traveling over from the States, it might, must have been really uncomfortable for them. Um, and you can't train for heat like that um, uh, either. So, no, but a, a really good fight. I, I, I think that Shamrock really approved the experience that he's had in the past and put it into good use here. His wrestling game was uh, outstanding here. I, 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 I thought that, as you boys alluded to, that the ground game was, was the best part of this fight, and it really showed where um, some people complain about MMA and that you know, they don't like to see people on the ground. They like to see stand-up fights. But actually, you, you can see here, this is a really good example of a fight that hits the ground that actually is just as entertaining because it's a lot. There, there, there's that skill, um, there's that one-upsmanship, um, power, speed, uh, te- technique. It all comes into it. Um, and uh, just a really, really good fight. Um, uh, I, so I think uh, I agree with Ken Shamrock when we look forward to the final. And finally, before we move on to our tournament final, we do have another fight to report. Um, it's one that actually broke out in the crowd um, between fans, it would appear, from first glance. Um, but then there, there were more people involved that we will get on to discuss. But chairs were thrown, uh, people were grounded, and it all looked pretty chaotic to me. Um, Bob, I think you've got a bit more information on this one. Well, I was going to say, yeah, just to kick off, I mean, I only found out that that, that involved who it involved kind of after the fact, but interesting that you would think that, you know, an unscheduled fight, um, you know, generally when something happens like that, they are quick to cut away from it. They just showed it. They, they, they came back from the end of their analysis of Kimo and Shamrock and they were right on there with a, with a, with an aerial shot of the brawl. As it turns out, it involved one man we know quite well. It was actually started by Tank Abbott. Um, he was sat, um, at the event on one side of the cage and on the other side of the cage was a man by the name of Alan Goez, um, who apparently I think trained with, um, with Abbott, uh, but according to John McCarthy's book, Goers have rolled about with Abbott at the school and tapped him out a few times. Uh, Goers did what many fighters considered disrespectful. He told people about it. So when Adam, Adam Abbott, sorry, spotted Goers across the cage, it was like a bull seeing red. Um, so the fight broke out, and then apparently, it, you know, it, it got calmed down again. And it kicked back off again later on, and it ends up with uh, Abbott actually getting into it with uh, Big John McCarthy's wife. And there's a uh, a bit in um, his book about. Um, Abbott subsequently apologising and John McCarthy prints a photo of the letter Abbott sent to um, his, his his wife um, and he said, if you think this was really written by Tank Abbott, I've got a uh, I've got a house on the beach with your name on it, I think was the uh, was the line in his book. But yeah, a, uh, an unscheduled fight with, involving Tank Abbott so you've got your money's worth tonight. Yeah, and I'm not sure if this does a lot for UFC's image either. Um, especially, you know, if, if, if it turns out it's between fans, you could say, oh, they, they were two drunks going at it um, when they've seen too much action on their hands. But actually, it involved talent that the company pay. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a good PR image. Um, Chris, any, any thoughts on this to add before no, we move on? No, just as as what you were saying in um John says in his book, after the legal battle, just to get the show on, uh, a brawl breakout in the crowd, especially between two fighters, is like absolutely the last thing you need. So, uh, yeah, not good. And it's probably, as Bob said, I have no understanding why they showed the the, the fight and the brawl going on. It was crazy considering the, the bad PR it would bring. But, yeah, interesting little side note. 
Well, and the, and the ironic thing is that the fight did actually last longer than a couple of the others that were on the card. So perhaps they just wanted to give people their value for money. But but one more one more chair involves. It's worth pointing out as well. <laughs> just the one, just the one. Okay, so moving on to our final fight of the evening, we have our tournament final, and it's uh, Don Fry versus Gary Goodridge. Um, the fighters are introduced, and the fight is on. It's worth saying oh, that Goodridge also, uh, who was wearing a gi in the other two matches on the uh, on the card, had, sh- had uh, uh, shorn it for for this main event. Uh, and he was uh, wearing these kind of quite striking, kind of tight shorts, this like zebra-style purple and black stripes. And I thought a little bit akin to modern-day Reebok design. I don't think they were that far off. I was thinking more sort of retro Brutus the Barber beefcake design when I saw it, to be honest. But um, uh, if you see Reebok, then, you know, good, fair play. Um, Chris, what were your fashion thoughts on, on that? Uh, I prefer fighters fighting in the UFC in what he came out in in the final as opposed to a gi. Um, I think it's... We've spoken about it on the first edition of this MMA podcast... Um, but having sort of a uniformity between what fighters wear in the octagon makes it seem more like a legitimate sport and you get less spots like we saw earlier where someone used a singlet to choke someone. So the fact he changed that in his gi, probably due to the heat and whatnot, but I preferred it. Yeah, I think I think he did it in advice. In a, in a post-fight interview, he did actually say, I, t- I, I can't remember who he said it to, I think, I think he might have been one of the commentators. He said, I took your advice and came out of the gi. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the, we'll, we'll, we'll get on to the fight now. So, um, the fight starts and both men throw down. Um, Fry is the main aggressor at the start. Goodridge gets behind him and tries to throw Fry. Uh, he eventually manages to toss Fry about two, three foot high up into the air, um, but then misses a wild follow-up kick that, to be honest, I think if he'd connected, he would have knocked his front teeth out. Um, the two men clinch again and Fry unloads a barrage of rights. Um, knocking out Goodridge's mouthpiece straight out of his mouth. Um, I thought the fight was going to be over at that point, to be honest with you. Um, but it, it went on. Goodridge turned Fry and pinned him to the fence. Um, Goodridge raised Fry, who smacked the back of his head on the, the top, um, the sort of rubber top of the of the side of the octagon cage. Um, and he clinged onto it with both hands, uh, clinging for dear life, it would seem. Big John told him to let go. Um, and he Fry sort of uh, fell onto Goodridge. And then they both fell to the mat. Um, Goodridge tried to lock in a chokehold from, from that position. Um, Fry rolled from underneath and unloaded with another brutal set of shots. Um, and big John McCarthy calls the fight off at two minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, your tournament winner is Don Fry. Um, we then went on to see a post-fight interview. Um, sorry, a post-fight section that showed that um, Goodridge's corner had actually thrown in the towel on this one as well. And also that he actually had tapped out. Um, it wasn't a stoppage, um, which I think it, it very much looked like from the initial camera angle. But when you saw that replay, it was clear that he tapped and the towel had been thrown in. So basically every stoppage imaginable was used to, to, to call an end to this one. Um, and Don Fry is our tournament winner. Uh, boys, that, so the end of the tournament, we have a winner. Um, what do we make of it, Bob? Yeah, um, very good fight um, between, you know, and I think one thing we talk about the tournament format is that this show in part was very much a show that was built up, you know, the super fighter side to try and build up some new stars. And the one thing about a tournament format is that when it's done right, you get a fun like this and within the course of an hour, all of a sudden you're invested in two guys and you're like, I don't know who's going to win this. Um, a very good, very even fight. Um, Fry, as you know, 
it was a David against the Goliath, Fry conceding height, conceding weight, um, did very well. I thought the ending was excellent when Goodrich tried to kind of get on top of him and uh, he was able to flip out of it, um, kind of roll out of the uh, position, uh, out of bottom position and land some strikes and win the match. Um, not the longest match you're ever going to see, but very, very fun to watch and an excellent performance from Fry. Yeah, Chris, over to you. Thoughts? That, yeah, I agree with everything uh, Bob said. I really enjoyed this fight. I enjoyed that we got a David versus a Goliath in the final, and they were obviously the two best fighters on the on the night, having got this far. And uh, it was a. Sh- I didn't expect such a short fight. I thought there'd be uh, more of a matchup between them. It was very even, but at only two minutes and fourteen seconds. It was very short. That spot uh, towards the end where. Uh, Goodridge tries to slam Fry down, but he holds on to the top of the octagon uh, before letting go and somehow rolls and ends up on top of Goodridge on the ground is was pretty exceptional. It led straight to the finish. And uh, yeah, as you said, Tom, pretty every finish in an MMA fight you could possibly have with a, a, a ref stoppage, the towel being thrown in and uh, submission all at once. So uh, a pretty uh, conclusive finish to a very entertaining tournament. Yeah, I think the commentators said that the the towel being thrown in was the first time they'd seen that in UFC. Um, I, I've certainly not seen it before. Um, and I, I think touching on the finish that you you mentioned there, I I don't I wouldn't say that Fry falling onto him and and do, doing that roll was intentional. But my God, it's skillful. You can't. He, he couldn't have planned it from the time he was clinging on the cage to to the, to the fact he then sort of fell onto his shoulder. Um, fell down the back of him. It was almost like a, in, again, a WWF roll-up. Um, he sort of f- fell down the back of him and, and, and got underneath him, and, and it was just, it was really, really, cla- really classy stuff. Um, uh, I was highly impressed, and I think, um, I think we can all agree that, um, and we'll go on to talk about our, our performer of the evening. But I think Don Fry was the rightful winner of this tournament. Um, and, our, and in the post-fight interview, um, Goodridge was was said that he had basically superior everything, but he forgot cardio and it was quite a funny, quite a funny interview. He just said, I, I forgot, I forgot to do my cardio basically, which I thought was really quite, quite cool and quite honest um, uh, for, for someone to say. Um, but you could see it. He was totally gassed out in this one um, towards the end. It, uh, Fry's tank was, was obviously way above his, um, but uh, a, a quick fight, but a, a good fight and, and a good finish to, to a, a good tournament, I would say. Um, so, um, Boys, before we before we go on to we're going to talk about our, our fights of the night, our performers of the night, and some overall ratings and reviews. I just wanted to touch on a, an, an interview um, that, that was given after the the final fight finished with uh, Christopher Penn, um, who's a, a famous actor and, and, and brother of Sean Penn. Um, he was interviewed with Don Wilson, and uh, he turns out to be a big big Ken Shamrock fan. Um, I think this is a, that's a really good thing for for UFC to be doing. Um, the only thing I would say is at that stage, putting it in after the fight had finished, it felt to me like the uh, they were padding it out. I think a lot of the fights had finished up too early and they were trying to beef out the rest of the show to actually get people people's value for money in terms of the length of the actual pay-per-view. Um, and I, I think it's good having his face on there and he's a, he's a name that people know, um, but I think it would have made more sense doing it earlier on. But perhaps it wasn't planned and they'd got him in to fill the time. What are your thoughts, Bob? Yeah, um, as you say, the, the, you know, a lot of these matches, you know, there are a couple of matches that are eight or nine minutes, but otherwise I think the totality of the rest of the car was probably about 20. 
Um, so they would have had a lot more time allotted and they did very noticeably, uh, run out of time. I don't even think I finished this show. Um, when, when they started going on the, uh, the CompuServe forum, I think I kind of gave up at that point. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you know, what one thing we'll see, you know, in the future, and we see a lot these days, you know, they don't tend to interview them anymore, but if they've got big stars at ringside, they'll show them. It's a, it, you know, I think back then it's a nice little credibility boost. These days it's probably just more showing off. Um, but if you've got names or even relations of names. You might as well have a chat with them, see what see what they're see how they're enjoying the show. It kind of it gives the show a bit more flavour. Um, but yeah, I, I I very much think that they thought we've got another forty minutes to fill on pay per view. We've got nothing to fill it with. Let's have a chat with Sean Penn's brother. Yeah, absolutely. And we really won't go onto the CompuServe forum because when they were trying to read out some of the questions on oh, there and act, and they were sort of squinting at the screen and they said, I can't understand it because it's, it's not, it's not, it's not in a language I understand. It was, it was going in all sorts of directions. I just thought you don't want to be doing this on live TV. Um, Chris, uh, any, anything to add on that one? No, I agree with everything you both said. The only thing I'd add really is that you had the perfect opportunity if you wanted to interview this guy, get him on screen. Uh, you had the perfect opportunity when you were waiting for Sam Adkins to be taped up earlier in the night. You obviously, they must have known he was there earlier on. So I'd have, that would have been the perfect opportunity to fill five minutes, get him on, talk about the night, who, who he thinks going to win later on and who he thinks going to win in the super fight and whatnot. I think that'd have been perfect time filler, but here it just felt a bit too much of a stretch for me, but it's relatively harmless. Alternatively, they could have just put Abbott and Goers in the octagon for the final match. <laughs> no holds barred. Yeah. Uh, chairs. But, yeah, chairs, chairs at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, okay, so... All right, so let's so let's um let's give our our, our um um uh, opinions and scores of this event then, guys. Let, let let's first of all go with our fight of the night, um just to say what did we think was the best show um between fighters. Um, Bob, I'll go to you first, and then we'll we'll do performer and then rating afterwards. But so fight of the night, which one did you have, Bob? Um, tricky actually. Uh, there's there's a lot of kind of honourable mentions. I mean, there's an honourable mention just for Goodbridge and Herrera, just for the most brutal knockout I've ever seen. Uh, Bolander and Ferozo is as, as eight minute matches go. That was a nice back and forth. Um, the super fight was also very good, but my fight of the night goes to Fry and Goodbridge in the final. Uh, nice and short, nice and sweet, but two guys that we were invested in over the course of the show, uh, put on a nice back and forth. You know, it's it's the early, out-of-control days of UFC main events that we don't really see anymore in terms of the rules have been tightened up since. Um, and I think when we had a show called David and Goliath, dare I say, the UFC dream would have been a David beating a Goliath in the final, and that's exactly what they got. Mm, mm, too true too true Chris over to you what was your fight of the night yeah there's quite a few contenders as Bob said it's particularly that final and Jerry Bohandler in both his fights his his matchup in the semi-finals with Goodridge was a was a great fight as well but for me I gave it to the uh, fight of the night to the super fight with Ken Shamrock defeated Kimo Um, it was the first super fight I've enjoyed Um, I think having like a title on the line and it was just an entertaining ground fight. And I, I do appreciate ground work. I think like obviously being an MMA fan, like a degree, but obviously I think the majority of people do enjoy stand-up contests far more. This was almost entirely on the ground and I was pretty captivated throughout the whole four, four or five minutes. Um, I really enjoyed that fight. It had a, a fun finish as well. So yeah, I gave that fight of the night for me. It was the super fight championship match. 
Yeah, okay. So we are two for one on the super fight being the fight of the night. I um, I, I did struggle with this one as well because, uh, I mean, I, you know, again, we'll talk about the show overall, but I did think it was a really good show. And I thought there were there were three fights um, that I would contend to be uh, fights of the night. Um, but I, I think that what that fight had, the super fight had that the other fights didn't, is that it had that super fight feel. Um, one of the things that UFC has at this stage is is sort of a feeling of um, these guys have got some training, but they're quite amateur amateurish. Um, but I really felt that you're watching two guys that know their craft extremely well. And that was shown, as, as Chris talked about, in the ground game of this one. And again, I, I mentioned Shamrock's wrestling sort of masterclass that he put on. Um, but for me, I just I felt it, it, it stepped up in terms of the, the quality of the fight. Um, uh, maybe maybe not in terms of impact and, and moments, but as an overall um, package, that, that fight, I think, um, was a was a, a great display of, of MMA at its best. Um so, OK, moving on next of all, we'll do our performer of the night. Um, so this is uh, the uh, MVP of the evening. Um, Chris, let's go to you first. Who have you got? Uh, realistically, I don't know how much of a cop out this is, but for me, there's only really one man. You can give it to Don Fry, uh, taking less in it to put his uh, make his way to the final with an eight-second knockout and then a 48-second uh, doctor stoppage in his semi-final. And then the thing in Gary Goodridge, who'd come off the back of one of the most brutal knockouts I've ever seen in his own quarterfinal, and being able to dispatch it with him uh, just just around the two-minute mark was pretty exceptional. He was uh, definitely the best man in the tournament, and he showed it in all of his fights. He was dominant. And he never really in too much danger, and uh, he looked like an absolute star throughout for me. And uh, even in his uh, post-tournament win interview, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed it as well. So for me, he's definitely a performer of the night. Yeah. Okay. Bob, over to you. Well, it's interesting. Um, it depends how we want to define this because I think if it was MVP, it would it would be Don Fry. Um, but I think under the Definition of what I, I, I kind of coined before we start the show as performer of the night. Um, Fry was excellent, uh, very impressive. Goodridge was excellent, but it, it, if I can be, um, a little bit clever, I actually would give it to Jerry Bolander, uh, a guy who went in undersized in a quarterfinal and semi-final match. And, you know, who knows how he could have got on against Goodridge had he not have fought nine minutes in the first match versus Goodridge finishing it in 15 seconds. I thought for a guy who was undersized so much, he showed incredible skill in both matches. Um, and really took it to Goodbridge in that semi-final too. I think there's one of the reasons Goodbridge probably couldn't win in the final was that he ended up going through that kind of four or five minute match that, that Fry didn't have to. Um, so performer of the night, not MVP, performer of the night, I'm giving to Bolander. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I struggled with this one a lot. This was the one I struggled with most and I struggled between Fry and Bolander, um, much to the reasons that Bob was just uh, explaining to. Now, I think if if we were doing an award for newcomer of the of the evening or newcomer of of the show, it's it's not even a debate to have. Jerry Bolander has got a hell of a lot of potential, um, but I think if you were to have put the two of them in the cage on the on the night, I, I think Don Fry would have won quite clearly or quite cleanly. Um, not to say he wouldn't have made a good fight because Bolander is clearly capable. Um, but I just think that, that Don Fry um, showed that he's in a position where you can put him against your Shamrocks and against your Sevens, and he'd be he'd be ready to go against either of them. Whereas I, I appreciate performer of the night. It's, it's sort of like 
um, who's the one that impressed you most and actually put on the best best performance on that night. There is an argument to be made for Jerry Bolander, but for the fact that Don Fry was so dominant and just looked to me to be the the most um, all round impressive performer um, in terms of challenges that might come his way next, I'm going with Don Fry. But it was a tough decision, I have to say. Uh, um, we, we should also say Gary Goodrich came out potentially as you know, possibly as the biggest star of them all. You know, I think mm. one of the guys who's reviewing it in the pro wrestling talk said, if this guy doesn't stick around in MMA, somebody in wrestling should snap him up. The guy can talk, he's got size, he's physical, um, he can hit. Um, Goodrich came out of a star even in a losing performance too. Like this is this is the thing about the tournament format. If it if it comes off, and I think the reason people don't do them anymore, and we saw Bellator have a go at it recently. If it comes off, it's really good. It's just that it doesn't come off often enough. Um, where I think you can rely on it. But this was this was the tournament format in perfect sh- perfect form. And Goodrich, I mean, yeah, we we could give Goodrich performer of the night on the basis of the knockout in the first round. I mean, that was incredible. Um, yeah, a, a really good show and a lot of different standout both matches and performance. Mm, yeah, exactly. And I think that shows the, 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 the overall quality of the show when, when we're really having to debate what we think is, you know, the best fight of the night and the best performer of the night because there was a hell of a lot of good, good stuff on show, um, which is nothing but positive for me. Um, so, okay, boys, let's, let's uh, go to our, our ratings out of 10 for the show uh, and just give a quick uh, overall opinion of how you think, how you think it went. Um, you know, in comparison to the shows we've seen before and, and maybe um, where you see things going forward. Uh, Chris, over to you. Um, this was an excellent show. Um, every fight here was worth watching. Every fight here had memorable moments. Uh, the show had probably the most brutal knockout I've ever seen, not just in MMA, now I'm thinking about it, with the uh, Goodridge elbows in his quarterfinal. Uh, with the exception of the Valians match, everything here made this a really, really fun show. We had quick knockouts. We had good groundwork in the super fight. Uh, we had a number of people who came off looking at stars, as we just discussed, with Bolander, uh, Fry, and even Goodridge himself. So for me, this was a 9 out of 10 show. I enjoyed pretty much all of it, uh, with the exception of that Valiant's fight, which wasn't terrible, and we have seen worse fights than that. It just uh, it, it wasn't up to the standard of the other fights on this show, but I really enjoyed this. Mm. Dare I say that Varlands is the one in your one missing from your nine out of ten. He is the number one. Uh, but no, he, 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 I agree with you. He was shocking. Um, Bob, um, over to you. What, what, what did you make of this one? What's your rating out of ten? Uh, I'll give it an eight out of ten. Um, in terms of watching a show start to finish, there was a lot of time filler. Um, they haven't quite got, and I don't know how long it'll take to kind of get down this rhythm and some of that's tournament format. Some of that is just them getting used to it. Some of them is having an alternate in the semi-final. The actual rhythm of the show wasn't there, but I think if you watch this match after match after match and kind of skip the breaks in the middle, this is a really fun show to watch. Uh, probably with the exception of the Vardy fight everything else on here is is yeah pretty short i mean there's the there's the bolander quarterfinal that's eight minutes otherwise there's nothing really longer than about four or five um and we made two new stars bolander's a guy i was reading up on his kind of um profile um on wikipedia while we're going through the show and seeing you know bolander's a guy we have to get used to a lot in the next year or so um he's going to feature a lot more um yeah very good show highly recommend watching it um very very entertaining yeah, okay. I, I'm also going to give it um, an eight, as, as Bob did. Um, that, that's not to take away from some some really good fights and some over um, some individual excellent performances that, that are going to bode well for UFC's future. Um, I do tend to agree with Bob in his comments of the overall presentation of the show and the way it flowed. I mean, 
I, I mentioned it earlier, but there were some moments when I, 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 I couldn't believe the show was live. There was a moment when the, the announcer, um, was, was, he was trying to start, um, introducing, I think, I think he was either, yeah, he was introducing the fighters. So he was sort of saying, uh, fighting from, and, and he repeated himself four times. And obviously someone off camera was telling him to either stop or there was something going on that was, that was, that meant he shouldn't have started. But he was on the microphone in front of the audience. They didn't seem to care. But on TV, it looked ridiculous. Um, and it looked really amateurish. Um, and there were some technical issues along the way where they went to cut to a video show and then they said, oh, we can't do that. And this was towards the end. They said, we're going to show you the UFC logo instead. And they said, oh, here's our logo to the show, which has been a great fight. And the whole thing just needs to be slicker for me. Um, and I think that will come in time because the more, the more people that watch this, the more pay-per-view buys, the more money that gets invested, the business model grows and they've got more money to invest in the overall product. Um, but for me, that did take away from my enjoyment of it slightly. So if it wasn't for that, I would have given it a nine as well in terms of, but in terms of the individual fights, as you boys said, some, some crackers on here. Um, and, uh, as I said, you know, the future for UFC would look bright after this. Indeed it will. Tom, would you like to wrap up the show? Yeah, sure. Uh, so boys, that, that, that's, uh, that does wrap us up for this month. Um, our next event, um, is UFC nine, uh, and, and, uh, without being Mystic Meg and looking into the future, it does feature a fight that will conceivably put us all three to sleep at the same time. Um, so it might be a bit of a, a record there for, for 20 years ago podcast history. I, I um, don't know. We, we are what two weeks removed from Kimbo and Dada. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, yeah. I mean, what, what can you say about that? I mean, I talk about, talk about circus comedy show. I, it, it was never going to work. The, the, the guys were so out of shape, and it was just embarrassing. I think. Why is Ken Shamrock still fighting? Like I don't know. Fifty-two years old. I tell you what. If I look like that when I'm fifty-two years old, I'll be up for fighting. Yeah, but why is it? Oh, I know. It drew ratings. I know all of that. But it, you know, it was, it was disappointing to um, see how kind of well it was received. Yeah, you know, freak show is the is the term. Battered, battered, you know, um banded around um and it's hard to disagree really um but yeah Bell- bellator are, are trying to survive they're trying to create a product that people are interested in it's difficult when usc has this just brand synergy with nma um and right now um bellator's only real way of kind of getting any ground on usc is by star power and the only star power that exists is the one the guys that ufc don't want ergo wanderlei silver who they signed yesterday um mm. so yeah um but equally um they need if they're going to do these older fights they're going to have to screen them better um if dada 5000 is trying to cut what was it 40 pounds in two weeks um yeah something like that yeah you need to be on top of your performance if they're going to try anything like that um and apparently i think he left hospital today i think um but yes it's um not not a good not a good sign for for uh for bellator but you know drew ratings people were intrigued clearly um down seven i think is is down seven fighting still is, uh, is... i don't i don't think so i haven't read that he is um i just wasn't sure whether he, he announced himself but yeah um i i don't know I, I don't think i don't apparently there is a market for old guys fighting but it is a shame because i don't think that there should be yeah, it, it reminds me of the conversations I used to have with my with my brother when we were really young, and, and we we were we were again we talk about pro wrestling here, but we were WWF fans, and then WCW was the product that we say. Uh, so what, what's on at WCW? You say, well, they they basically got the the guys that have left WWF. Um, they're not as good as they were ten years ago, but actually they're matches that you you would tune in and watch. 
um, because you know that they're going to be worth watching because of the star power. Um, so it does remind me of that that early early sort of WCW WWF clash. But uh, yeah, I think more the point. Sorry, I know we're going long, but I think more the point making the same mistake WCW made in that if, if you're going to use these big names to draw people to your shows, at least give people a reason to stick around the following week with trying to make other stars. I think doubling up on the the freak show co-main event and not um, not you know including you know maybe showcasing Benson Henderson who they just signed a bit more a bit closely more closely as well you know that kind of thing uh, but anyway we we could go on for longer we we will see how Bellator does but it's, uh, we, it's could, uh, yeah. we could yeah go on Chris can I just jump when uh, Bob asked about Dan Seven still fighting it I googled him I'm on his Wikipedia page any of you two care to wager a guess at what his MMA professional record is oh man I, I, I honestly wouldn't be able to guess. So it, it would be pointless. I'll have a dig. I'll say seventy-eight and twelve. It's a hundred and one to nineteen. Wow! I was actually and seven, right. seven draws. His last fight was in twenty twelve, so it doesn't look like he's still working, uh, still fighting. But I, I, I'm personally surprised I wasn't miles out there. That is unbelievable. I've never heard anything like it. So that's how, how many? Go on, sorry. No, go on. I'll look him up on Wikipedia. I was going to say, how many fights is that in total then, Chris, that he's, that he's had in his professional career? 127 professional MMA fights. Jeez Louise. And when, <laughs> you consider his first MMA fight was in 1994, 22 years ago, and he's now 50. His first fight was when he's 35. And he, he has a winning record of uh, 101, 19 and 7. And his first fight was when he was 35 years old. That is nuts. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. At the turn of, at the, turn of the millennium, uh, he lost his first fight in 2000 to Josh Barnett. Um, he had a record of 35, 4 and 3 uh, in 2000 when he would have been 41. And then since then, he's fought another like 55 times. And he's got a winning record, like by a distance. You know, you look at. In fact, a lot, a lot of his, um, a lot of his losses came in the middle of his career. Actually, uh, last thirty odd fights, he's lost five. That's nuts. Wow. Dan Seven, ladies and gentlemen. Dan Seven, round of applause <laughs> for the man himself and for his moustache. Um, he, he deserves it. All right, so, so boys, um, we are starting to turn into a bit of a Kimbo slice fight here by going on far longer than we should do. So. Um, let's wrap it up here. Um, a thoroughly entertaining pay-per-view and uh, I hope a thoroughly entertaining podcast for the people listening. And, and if you've managed to stay with us at this point, um, I really don't recommend that you do watch a Kimbo Slice fight because you'll probably end up in a coma. So, um, boys, uh, thanks for joining me. Uh, it's been very entertaining. Bob, uh, do you want to give us the uh, give us your Twitter details and all the good stuff for the, for the podcast? Yes. Uh, thank you to you, Tom. Thank you to uh, Chris White also. Yep, thanks for having me on the uh, show again. Chris, a quick plug for your wrestling podcast. Yep, if you're interested in modern day wrestling, you can check out Podplex City. It's on iTunes and SoundCloud, also on Twitter. Uh, just talking modern day WWE stuff. So if you're interested in that as well as your MMA, please too check that out. Uh, Chris, your Twitter handle? Uh, my Twitter handle is at ChrisWhite14. Uh, Tom, thank you very much to present this week. Uh, absolute pleasure, mate. It's always a joy. No, it's um, certainly as you can be found on Twitter. 
I can. You can find me at Mark Out Martin with a Y. And you can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamber. Every, all the details are on the website wrestling20yrs.com. Uh, That's really about it. Really, this is volume four of the February shows, even though we're taping it in early March. Uh, if you are interested, volumes one to three, it's WCW, WWF, and ECW in that order. A lot of stuff related to Brian Pillman and other things. Uh, and that'll do that. So I've been Bob Bamber. He's been Chris White. Thank you to Tom Martin for presenting the show. This has been the MMA 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye.